It's a blessing for me to be with you once again to look at God's word and by his grace to hear him speaking to us. If you, um, well, there are going to be three scripture passages uh, that uh, I sent in as a, a text for uh, tonight, but we're going to be using a number of passages, all of which are going to be projected on the screen. Um, and I want to spend just a couple of minutes talking about sort of the source for this message. One of my favorite Bible teachers, writers, is John Stott. John Stott passed away uh, about five years ago. For many years, he's British. For many years, he was the chaplain to the Queen of England, uh, Billy Graham once called him the most respected Protestant clergyman in the world. When he died, uh, <clears throat> someone wrote, if evangelicals could have selected a pope, it would have been John Stott. He preached his final sermon, uh, and it was published that way, in 2007. And at age 86, and as he began the, the sermon, and I found it online. I ran into it several years later by accident. In fact, I'd recommend it. If you have access to the internet, just Google John Stott's final sermon, and you will find it. <clears throat> in, in writing that sermon, he said, I, I thought, you know, this is, sort of, this is sort of my last chance to talk to the church. This is... This is it. What's the most important thing I can say to the body of Christ from the word of God? And he said, I concluded, the most important thing I could say is be like Jesus. Be more like Jesus. And I read that sermon. Now I read it again. And I pondered it, read it again. And uh, until I, I thought about the sermon, if you would have asked me, now, what does it mean? How do we best live the Christian life? I would have said, well, first, we need to be Christians. And to be a Christian, you need to place your faith and trust in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. We're saved by faith really by grace, through faith, not of works. So we're saved not by doing good things, we're saved by faith. But then, then after we're saved, now what do we do? Well, we live for Jesus, we live for the Lord. How do we, how do, we do that? How's the best way to describe how we're supposed to live? I would have said, well, look at the scriptures and look at all the good things we're instructed to do and by God's grace and with his help try to do them and also take note of all the bad things we're not supposed to do and don't do them by God's grace and with his help. That's very, that's very biblical. I mean, the Ten Commandments tells us what to do and not to do. In, in a number of Paul's letters, there are those very things. In Galatians, Galatians 5, there's the, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and it goes nine, on nine of them. Before that, it says, there's the works of the flesh. Avoid those. In Colossians, 
uh, Colossians 3, we're told, put on, put on compassion, kindness, faithfulness, meekness, forbearance, love. Put, put those things on and put to death what's earthly in you. And there's a list of bad things. Now, I still think that's important. Do the good, avoid the bad. But I no longer think it's the best way to describe how we ought to be approaching the Christian life. I think Stott's absolutely right. Be more like Jesus. Live like Jesus. So I pondered that. I made a sermon on it. And here's the sermon. I have to tell you, the sermon is actually quite somewhat different from Stott's. That's why I encourage you to read it. But the scripture passages, with one exception, are all borrowed from him. The scripture passages, all from Stott. No, he began by saying, why? What's the biblical basis for saying we should try to be more like Jesus? He said, because that's what God tells us to do. And he lists, well, he gave three passages. Here's the first one. First one has to do. First one has to do with predestination. Predestination, elected election. Now just think about it. If you're thinking about what we're elected to do, what our predestination involves, what is that? What are we elected for? I think many of us would say, "Well, we're elected, or we we're predestined to go to heaven, right? Isn't that what predestination is about?" predestined to go to heaven to spend eternity with Jesus? Well, look what it says in this famous passage. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. When God predestined, elected you and me, he said, I'm choosing you to be conformed to the image of his son. And you, and you, were chosen to be like Jesus in the past, before the foundation of the world. How about the present? Well, the next passage from Colossians 3.18. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Right now, in the present, we are being transformed. God is transforming us. God is changing us to be like Jesus. So we've got the past. We've got the present. You can probably guess what the next one is about. 1 John 13. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, or we shall see him as he is. We. When he appears, we shall be like him as he. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he, as he is. When I it, it was here a couple of months ago, I preached about heaven and said we're going to have bodies like J- 
Jesus is glorified body. That's a little inadequate. It's true, very much true. But just to say we're going to have bodies isn't quite enough. We are going to be like it. So it's pretty obvious according to God's plan, past, present, future, his intent is that we be like Jesus. Now, going on. What's Jesus like? What's he like? Well, we, I guess we'd have to read all the Gospels to know that. And that's a lot more we can do in a, in, in a message like this. But I'm go, we're going to look at five biblical passages. Five passages which tell us what he's like, but also in one way or another tell us, you'll be like him. It's not this, this is all Jesus is, but this is God's will for you and me as well. First one, starting with his birth, and a beautiful passage that uh, Pastor Meyer used last Sunday uh, here. From Philippians chapter 2, notice how it starts. Your attitude, your attitude, our attitude, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And the real meaning of the word grasp there is not to be grasping like this, but not to be hung on to. He was equal with God. He, he was in the glories of heaven with God the Father and the Spirit, but he, he didn't hold on to that. He didn't grasp onto it. He let go. We can follow that, the, the, the symbolism. He let go, he made, he came to earth, and it says, but made himself nothing. Literally, it says he emptied himself. Taking the very nature of a servant. Goes on, he became obedient. Obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's what he did for us. A servant. And, and of course, his servants aren't concerned about themselves. Their job is not to pay attention to themselves. Their job is to pay attention to other people. In that culture, in that age, to pay attention to the needs of their master. Jesus? Paying attention to our needs as if we are the master? But he did that willingly. He gave himself up. He made himself nothing. He emptied himself. He didn't count that equality with God something to be grasped. And it says again, your attitude, your way of thinking, the way you see yourself ought to be like Jesus. Continuing with the idea of being a servant. Another biblical passage. In John chapter 13, we have the story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. They're at the Last Supper. Jesus gets up, undresses somewhat, and starts to wash the disciples' feet. We kind of read between the lines there. That was typically the job of a servant, to wash the feet of the guests. There was no servant. There's nobody to wash his feet. And you can imagine his disciples thinking, oh, my, this is bad news. What are we going to do? I suppose one of us ought to wash these feet. I'm not going to wash these other dirty feet. I'm not going to take up this, this lowly task. I'm not going to humble myself. Because the disciples, of course, had been arguing about who's going to be greatest in Jesus' wonderful kingdom. So Jesus does it. And you know the story of Peter is horrified. You're not going to wash my feet. But Jesus convinces him. 
Jesus acting as a servant. Now, we, we know that passage, that story, I suspect lots of us pretty well. But do we remember the next thing that Jesus said? He said, you, know, you call me Lord and teacher and master. Now that, from John, 3, uh, John 13, verse 14, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash, wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I've been the servant. The king of kings, the God of God, left heaven and became a servant. And he said, okay, I've showed you what to do. You all my disciples, my instruction is, you do what I've done. You be servants as well. Going on. To the letters. From Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Be imitators of God, therefore, wrote the Apostle Paul. Be imitators of God and live a life of love just as Christ loved us, just as Christ loved us, and, and gave himself up for us. That's, of course, what Jesus did when he went to the cross. He gave himself up for us. He sacrificed himself out of love, but it's that self-sacrificial love which the inspired writers Paul is saying, you be imitators of that. You be like that. You be willing to sacrifice yourself. And of course, those disciples who Jesus initially thought were, Paul is saying this to the rest of the Christian church. He's saying it to us. You sacrifice yourself out of love. Out of love for people around you. And another passage sort of expanding on that sacrificial nature of what Jesus did. 1 Peter 2, verse 21. Because Christ suffered for you, exactly what he did, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. This gets a little difficult. It gets a little difficult, doesn't it? He's saying, okay, Jesus suffered for you. You could do the same thing. Isn't it exciting to be a Christian? Follow Jesus' example and suffer. But you know, around the world today, Christian people are suffering. How, how many of you know the story? I'm not going to call on you, but how many of you know the story of Polycarp? Know the story of Polycarp? Back in the early history of the Christian thing, yeah, Christian church, Polycarp was a bishop, the Bishop of Smyrna. He was an old, respected man, but it was very dangerous and dangerous in those days to be a Christian. And so he was arrested, convicted, sentenced to death, 
It's going to get burned at the stake. The ruler in charge really kind of liked Polycarp. And so he offered him a choice. You know, if you just, just for now, just deny that you're a Christian, we'll, we'll, we'll let you go. And he says, 80, 80 and six years I've served my master. I'm not going to deny him now. So he did. They lit the flames and he burned up. Isn't it exciting to be a Christian? Well, Peter says, Peter says again, this is the example. Christ suffered for you. You suffer for him. Final thing, the end of John's gospel. You know, in Matthew's gospel, we have, we, we have what we call the Great Commission, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. This is John's version of it. And, and John says simply, to, or Jesus says in the words of, as John wrote them, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, he said that to his disciples. We could say, well, that's not to me. The instructions to his disciples in other places we don't just cast off. Good biblically to think of myself, yourself, as I'm sent. I'm sent into this world. I'm sent to be his follower, his disciple. I'm sent into this world to be like Jesus. That's hard. That's very difficult. I mean, Jesus was God. He was specifically sent here for that purpose. I'm just, I'm just a human being. I've got all my normal human frailties and weaknesses. How much does God really expect of me? Well, in one of John's letters, we read simply, this is from 1 John 2, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked doesn't seem to make it very optional, does it? Must, if you claim to be a Christian? Now, there really isn't anything at all that shocking about that. Because Jesus initially didn't, didn't, didn't go about establishing the Christian church. You know, the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. What Jesus was, was a rabbi. That's what he, how he was seen. And his disciples were men who he called, who followed him, who listened to his instructions to learn from him and to practice being like him. That was the whole idea of being a disciple of a rabbi, to come to think what the rabbi thought, to teach what the rabbi taught, and to live the way the rabbi lived. And this is what Jesus did and lived and taught. Let's think about them again. Let's put up the summary. 
He was a servant. He loved sacrificially. Obviously, he went to the cross. And he suffered willingly. And he was sent. He had a mission. And we're called to be like Jesus. Again, we could look at that and say, yeah, but but I'm I'm just I'm just a human being. But now I want to remind you of something else. Before Jesus went to heaven, he told his disciples, when I leave, I'm going to send someone. In fact, it's a good thing that I leave because I'm going to send to you another counselor or another comforter. I'm going to send to you a paraclete is the word that you may have heard. And really a paraclete is someone who walks alongside the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He's going to walk alongside you. He's going to teach you, instruct you, guide you in all things. Sometimes when we read that, we think that teach you or guide you means to, to, to teach us things that we learn from a book and write down and study in class. I don't think it means that. Well, it means that too. But I believe it means more the Holy Spirit is going to guide you and walk with you along this pathway of life to push you, nudge you, lead you, help you, encourage you in being like Jesus. So, so if, if, if we're inclined to think, shucks, I can't do that. This is too hard. I'm just, I'm just a human being. Don't underestimate the power that you have. Because you've got the Spirit of God within you. Read the story of Pentecost, the story of the early church when the Spirit came, what he did in the lives of those ordinary people, ordinary disciples. We have the same Spirit empowering us. And the instructions are, be like Jesus. Now, I want to think about that a little more pragmatically for, for a few minutes, a little more, a little more practically. Are you suggesting, Pastor, that, that, that we just can't even be normal, ordinary people? No, of course not. We're given to live in this world. When God sent his Old Testament Israelites into the promised land, he said it's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. You're going to be blessed. You're going to enjoy yourself. Of course we can enjoy ourselves. Life is full of all kinds of blessings. Good things that God gives us. I can remember hearing Bill Hybels speak. Bill Hybels, pastor of Willow Creek Church, complaining a little bit about people who made it their number one goal in life to become president of their company or to get into Harvard Law School or to be a starter on their high school's athletic team 
or to become a millionaire or to have a beautiful home. That's their number one goal in life. And Sid Heibel's, that's a terrible number one goal in life. Now, if you have that as a secondary goal or a third or third area, third or fourth level goal, that's fine. Those are fine secondary goals in life, if you want. We, we live our life, but they shouldn't be the number one goal in our life. He would say the number one goal is to follow Jesus, I believe, in keeping with what John Stott is saying and what the scriptures say, our number one goal in life is to be like Jesus. That's our aim in life, to become more and more. God, help me to become more and more like Jesus. Help me to be first and foremost that servant, that servant who loved sacrificially, that servant who's willing to suffer, that that servant who loved with great, great sacrifice, because it's not about me, it's about Jesus. And that servant who realizes I'm on a mission. God has sent me here. I'm not just here to enjoy myself. Wonderful things. God lets me enjoy myself. Gives me all, my, all these blessings. But he sent me to here to be his person, his servant, his disciple, his follower in this world. So, good to ask. What are my aims in life? And with this kind of thinking, my number one purpose in life, my number one purpose each and every day of my life should not be, should not be my own success. That's important. It's good to be successful in what I'm doing in life. That's not the most important thing. Or my job, or my schoolwork, or my entertainment, or my friends, or what people think of me. Do people like me and respect me? Or honor me. Those kind of things. Yeah, that, that, that's a, but it's not the number one thing. Or my plans for the future. Or my home. It was many years ago when a, a young couple in the church I was serving them came to me. And they had a problem. And I, I think at the time, I really didn't understand their problem as I should have. I would understand it a lot better. The problem was their parent, one of, the, one of the sets of parents. I don't know which one. Because it seemed, they said, this set of parents who were, I thought they were old people, then they were in their 50s or so, these parents. These parents were all concerned about especially their own house. They'd been remodeling their house, and they did this to it, and then they got new carpet, and they changed the paint color, and, and then they redid their kitchen. And it just seems they're just so enamored with their house that they're not very concerned about living for the Lord. Now, these were good Christian people. These were, these were Christian people who went to church every Sunday, twice every Sunday, like you, got involved in the activities of the church, did things in the community. I mean, they, they lived their Christian life. They didn't, do bad, they didn't do bad things. It's just 
this young couple was concerned because mom and dad just don't seem to be putting first things first. I submit to you they should have heard John Stott's sermon too. I wish I'd heard it lots earlier. So my challenge to you is be a servant. Serve other people. Look for ways and places and situations in which you can serve, in which you can do the work of the Lord. Oh, rejoice in his blessings, all the good things you get. Have fun in life. But the good things in life are simply a result of his grace and his love to us, who he calls to be like Jesus. Look for people, look for circumstances, look for situations in which you can serve. Remember, you're sent into this world. Some people may say, I don't have many occasions and opportunities. Well, if I were just young with my whole life ahead of me, you may say. If, if, if I were young with my whole life ahead of me, I could plan for things like that. I'm not. So let me tell you a story, and then we'll conclude, about an elderly lady in the church in which I grew up. I, I grew up in, in uh, Drent Christian Reformed Church southeast of Zealand. When I was a young pastor, uh, this lady, uh, well in her 80s, uh, told my parents that she prayed for me every day. She said, I pray for everyone involved in her terms now, full-time kingdom service. Well, that's good. I, I was... I was pleased. But then she said, I pray for other people too. I pray for people who I think don't have many people praying for them. Specifically in our congregation. And she named among other people, but she specifically named my great-uncle. My great-uncle was quite old, too. He had never married. He was reserved. He had lived with my great-grandmother on the farm uh, until past his retirement age and until she died at 95, and then he moved to a home. And he just didn't have many acquaintances. It was his nature, didn't have many friends. He was a friendly enough person. But she said, I really don't think he has many people to pray for him. And so I do, every day. And there were a list, she had a list of other, I don't know who they were, other people as well. That I submit to you is an example of being like Jesus. On the one hand, she had the spiritual sensitivity to see a need that a lot of people, like me, didn't see. And she had the willingness, the love, to go ahead and do it. Simple thing, but profound thing. She was being like Jesus. May God help us all through our lives truly to be like him. And let's pray. Father God, 
Help us to look to Jesus all the more to study him, to seek to understand him, his words, his deeds, and then help us by your grace and, oh yes, by the power of your spirit to be more like Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. And we'll stand to sing.